0: Ninth Story Studios, giving Story a voice. Welcome to the Wicked Library. The lights are out. This is the darkness in between. we are again. The warning at the beginning of the show. I'm getting a little tired of having to warn you people. I mean, the name of the show is The Wicked Library for God's sakes. It's not The Sweet Pickles Library. Listener discretion is advised. If you're scared easily, good! (laughs) Seriously though, bugger off if you can't take scary stuff. We're very scary here. Boom. (laughs)
1: The Record of Harold Snide By Lee A. Foreman The black disc spun as the music enthralled its listeners. It spoke a language more beautiful than any human tongue. It sang in sweet tones of joy, and cried in wails of sorrow as the symphony progressed. Like a puppet master, deftly maneuvering strings, it directed bodies as they danced with grace, ever mindful of the next movement, the next step. Only when the needle was lifted did they stop. The Victrola was the instrument, Mr. Harold Snide, the conductor his guests had been invited to his home under false pretenses of a dinner party, one which could be described as nothing short of an unmitigated success. After dessert, he invited those gathered into the parlor for a musical interlude. When he placed the recording onto the spinning table and set the needle, In the disc's carved groove, they all began to dance. He knew they would. He'd tested it on his late wife prior to her passing of heart failure. An unfortunate occurrence for her, but not for Mr. Snide. He'd inherited her vast fortune and the aforementioned record player. When Mrs. Snide had still been among the living, he'd found it buried deep in the attic. Behind old crates and piles of books, no one would ever read again. He'd pulled it out, dusted it off, and brought it downstairs.
2: What are you doing with that old thing?
1: She'd questioned with disdain. What do you mean, dear? I'm setting it up so I can listen to my records.
2: Why don't you just buy a new one? We hardly need to reuse
1: junk from the attic. She clucked, barely disguising her distaste. He didn't reply. Instead, he placed a record on the player and turned it on. She began to dance. And dance... And dance. A strange expression painted on her face, as if fear had struck her ill. I thought you hated my choice of music, he asked her prancing form. She didn't reply. Lin, what has gotten into you? Still, her mouth uttered no words. He crossed his arms and watched her sway and whirl around the room without stopping. He let it go on for some time before raising the arm off the record. She stopped dancing and blinked a few times. What? What just happened? You were dancing. It was wonderful. I couldn't stop.
2: I didn't want to dance. I don't understand.
1: Let's try it again, shall we? Harold turned the music back on. She began to raise a palm to tell him to wait. But the music took over and sent her twirling around like a ballerina. He sat and watched in fascination from his favorite reading chair, smiling at her frame as it seemed to glide about the room as if weightless. As she went on and on without end, he wondered how long the player would have an effect. He soon had an answer. She danced until she died several hours later. Before the police and ambulance had arrived, he dredged up old memories to proffer genuine tears. He didn't want to appear apathetic or distracted. Tissue in hand, he wiped his eyes while the paramedics took her body away and the officers questioned him. It had worked perfectly. There was no need for them to know those tears weren't for his deceased wife, but for his beloved dog Ralph, who'd passed away when he was a boy. Now, no one suspected a thing, neither the police nor his current guests. He presumed they all believed him in need of company. He was, after all, alone in such a large house, with a wife so recently in the ground, and no children to share his grief. It had only been a week since the death of Mrs. Snide, yet the vultures gathered had jumped at the opportunity to console the wealthy widower. The same gaggle who wouldn't have bothered to utter his name prior to his wife's passing, he reveled in watching the contorted faces of his guests as they moved around the room with more grace than they ever would have on their own. He wondered how long they'd last. Would they drop one by one? Would they all die around the same time? He wished he could bet on who would be the first to go. But there wasn't anyone to take up the offer. It mattered little. He was having the time of his life. Watching those rich bitch hogs dance uncontrollably gave him pleasure. And watching their lives go out would give him even more. They'd done him wrong, and in return, he was going to do them right. He watched Gerald, his legs bending and swaying, hips moving in sync with Barbara's. The two socialite bastards had always talked behind his back. He'd seen them laughing with eyes pointed in his direction, At the company Christmas party the previous year, Lynn had stood with them, probably telling them how he'd pissed his money away with a bladder full of drink. There will be fewer attendees at the party this year, he thought with maniacal glee. Hannah and Charles, the investment dynamic duo, or so they claimed, they looked to be the first to go. He saw their eyes droop, watched as their mouths hung open. A stream of unbecoming drool leaked freely onto each of their chins. Their arms swung loosely at their sides, propelled only by the movement of their hips, which no longer held any rhythm. When he looked at their unsteady feet, he laughed. The carpet had worn flat from the constant shuffling of their shoes. It had been Lynn's favorite rug, worth quite a bit of money. I'd trade that floor rag for a bucket of dirt any day, he groused in his mind. The soon-to-be-deceased couple had lost him money time and time again in fruitless endeavors. No more. That rug will be the last of your expenses. Max still moved at a steady, upbeat pace. Mr. Snide figured he'd be the last to drop. Max hadn't done anything in particular to deserve such a merciless fate. He just didn't like the mook bastard. He poured himself a glass of whiskey and raised it to his guests. Thank you all for coming. I'm having a wonderful time. He laughed and sipped his drink. By the time he'd gone through five or six paws, he couldn't remember how many. Max was the only one left standing. The clock read quarter five. Damn sun will be rising soon. We better call this party quits. Show yourselves out (laughs) Oh wait. That's right, you can't. He chuckled and spilled whiskey with a wavering hand. Hurry up and die, won't you, Max? I need to rid myself of a lot of you. I can't have you stinking up the place. (laughs) Max's gaze pleaded with him. Their sorrowful look. Begged to be released. ached to be set free. Can't go back now, buddy. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) He reached for an iron rod from the fireplace. "'swung it hard. "'Max went down like the market crash of 29. "'He lifted the needle from the record "'for some peace and quiet "'while he piled the bodies together on the rug. "'When he attempted to pick Max up, "'he heard soft grumbles emanating from the man's throat. "'The blow to the back of his head hadn't killed him. "'What's that you say?' Speak up, boy. Mr. Snyde thought he heard a profane remark as he hoisted Max up by putting his arms under his shoulders. But the young man's speech was still unintelligible. What's that now? Fuck you. Max's hand reached out just far enough to push the needle back onto the vinyl disc, and the music started to play. Releasing his hold on Max, Mr. Harold Snide began to dance. <laughs>
0: Where do you think you're going? There's more story to come! (laughs) Don't you want us to keep the lights on?
1: (laughs) Birthing the Future by Lee Andrew Foreman I watched with fascination as the subjects writhed in black fluid. Accompanied by the white bulbous larvae they'd birthed. This was a sight unmatched in scientific history the creation of inhuman life from human mothers. Dr. Atkins approached and stood by my side. How do the test results look? I glanced up from my computer. They're bonding with the children. Something like a frown tightened his lips. But the curvature of emotion didn't exist for that man. This isn't any good, Atkins said. We need something concrete, Abraham. He picked up the telephone and dialed the three-digit extension to access the intercom. Science Team 2, report to Area 9. I silently huffed, not wanting to deal with the human filth I was forced to share a workspace with. I preferred to work alone with my subjects. To observe them without sharing their beauty. Jealousy crept into my heart at the thought of their involvement in the program. It was mine. They were mine. Those three stunning women. And their children. My children. Doctors Sloan and Shaw entered the lab. I shielded my eyes against the light from the open door.
2: What's wrong with that one?
1: Sloan pointed to one of the white worm-like babies.
2: It doesn't look well. It's sluggish.
1: That one is Bob, I informed her in a firm tone. Bob.
2: You named it?
1: She looked at me with squinted eyes.
2: Why in the hell would you give that damn thing a name?
1: I wanted to stand from my chair and throttle her. She'd never understand that not only had the mothers bonded with them, but I had as well. I named all of them. Bob, Pat, and Leslie.
2: He's been working down here too long.
1: Shaw added. She traced a circle against the side of her head with one finger. I grumbled under my breath. They don't care about these children. To them, they're no more than mice in a cage. To me, they're the future. Atkins placed a firm hand on my shoulder. We're off to lunch. Better put together a report by the time we get back. You know the Supervisor's been breathing down our necks about the results for this project for too long. They're gonna shut it down if we don't have anything. I didn't bother responding. There wasn't any point. I just kept my eyes on the computer until they left. Finally, some time with the family. I was again alone with my wives and children. Joined, bonded together, we would begin an awakening. The old world would be no more than a memory, a fairy tale that would fade into obscurity. History would be retold by my seed. With it, I'd sow new chapters into the annals of the past. I rubbed my hands together at the thought of fathering a new civilization— The towers of glass and steel would be paved over and laid to rest. My offspring would be free to roam, to live in peace and happiness. My wives would join my side, and we'd watch our children make the world their own. Yes, my wonderful family, you'll soon be rid of this place and your confinement. It won't be long now. I love you dearly. Always know that. I'd never told the others where the human genetic material came from to inseminate the subjects. The intended sample was from another lab, altered to be mixed with non-human DNA to achieve chimeric symbiosis. I'd tossed the human sample away and replaced it with my own. I'd fathered the children who would grow to become gods among humankind. The research my idolant co-workers thought they were doing had been replaced with my own work. I couldn't allow them to ruin the most divine creation in scientific history. The dawn of a new era was upon them, and they had no idea. Getting up from my seat, I walked to the pool of black fluid. The bare-skinned mothers held their offspring. Arms and legs wrapped around their soft bodies. The larvae wriggled in their embrace. Nothing could be more beautiful. I dipped my fingers in the viscous liquid, feeling the electric warmth of life. It surged with energy, pain, love. Coming into existence was a traumatic event, No one remembers their own birth. It would be too horrifying a thing to live with. I'd watch them emerge. I'd care for them. Show them the world. Faint screeches came from the little ones. Their mother's eyes teared. Don't worry, loves. It's feeding time. I opened the cold room and retrieved fresh beef. You won't have to settle for this low-quality meat for long. They'd need something more. Something to help them grow strong. When I threw red chunks into the puddle, the pale worms squealed with delight. They wriggled to the center of the round enclosure, mothers in tow. Watching them feed always spawned warmth in my heart. I loved them. Caring for them was my sole purpose. I'd caress their slick white bodies and sing them lullabies. I'd tell them stories. I'd feed them. Their mothers would be at my side. They were the family I always wanted. When the team returned from their break, I subdued the first thoughts that came to mind. Rush it. Now's not the time. The supervisor wants to see progress, Atkins said. We've got to show him something. He came to the cafeteria himself and got on my ass. Don't worry, I replied. We'll have plenty.
2: Let me see today's results,
1: Sloane demanded. She tilted my computer monitor in her direction and rubbed her chin as she scanned the information on the screen.
2: You don't have much of anything. This isn't going to please them at all. They're never pleased,
1: Shaw huffed.
2: They want everything done right away.
1: This is far from an exact science, Atkins said. Nothing like this has ever been done. Probably shouldn't have been attempted at all if you ask me, he scoffed. Waste of time. I hated to think what the brass might do to my family if they got their filthy hands on them. They'd be treated as lab animals. The company would apply the poisonous cosmetics of experimentation on my wives and children. I couldn't let that happen. It was a father's duty to protect his family from harm. We still need a little more time, I said.
2: They've already extended our deadline,
1: Sloan said.
2: They aren't going to give us much more, and you know it. She's right,
1: Shaw added. Atkins nodded in agreement. How long are we talking about, Abraham? I just need a few more days. Then they can shut the whole thing down if they want.
2: If they want?
1: (laughs) Sloane giggled.
2: Like you have any say.
1: I slammed my fist on the desk. Damn it! I just need a few more days. Get out of my hair and I'll get it done faster.
2: Fuck you,
1: Sloane said.
2: You just want to stay down here with your little pets.
1: Come on, Atkins gestured. To hell with him. Let's bring the results to the supervisor. Get a few days extension and let him wallow down here trying to get the damn thing to work while we relax. This project is done for. It's been a failure since day one. Works for me. Shaw smiled. As I watched them walk away, beads of sweat ran down my cheeks. My hands trembled. Everything was only a small motion away. Yet I hesitated. Not out of fear or second-guessing, but from wanting to hold on to that moment for as long as I could. To feel the surge in my chest, the bubbling in my gut, the swimming in my head. I held the future. And it flourished within my soul like a flower beneath the warm sun. When I clicked the icon, the facility's main power grid shut down. Red emergency lights flashed on the ceiling. The alarm sounded. Adrenaline surged through my every muscle. It had finally begun. Let's go, Atkins insisted. We only have ten minutes to get out. You all know what happens after that. Hidden glee tried to force its way into my expression. So far, the program is working as intended. In ten minutes, I'd know for sure. They ran for the exit, as expected. But the door had been sealed shut. I made sure of that. My three co-workers... Struggled in unison to force it open, but no amount of human might could get through that security door. Abraham, get over here and help us! Atkins glared at me in horror and confusion as I stood there, showing not a hint of fear. We all knew that ten minutes after a red alert, the entire facility would be sterilized. But I'd also made sure that wouldn't be a problem. Don't bother, I said. That door isn't going to open. Not until I want it to. They stepped back, uncertain how to react. I laughed, <laughs> not caring if they heard. We're all stuck in here. Uh...
2: What the hell is wrong with you?
1: Sloane bawled her hands into fists.
2: Did you lose your fucking mind?
1: Not at all. Everything is as intended.
2: What does that mean?
1: Shaw's eyes widened. Her jaw hung slack. I adjusted my glasses. You're all very lucky. You get to be the first. That's quite a treat. You'll be remembered and honored. Think of yourselves as, um, saints. Yeah. After all, you did work on the project, so in a way, you're part of the family. You're insane! Atkins said, backing away. Just what do you think's happening here? It's a red alert! We have to get out, or we'll all die. I crossed both arms over my chest. It doesn't matter where you are at this point. In here, out there, it's all the same now. You're at the epicenter of the start of something divine. I laughed. <laughs> How could you want to be anywhere else? You'd miss everything. I stepped over to the pool of black liquid, the white larva appearing red beneath the emergency lighting. These are my children. You've treated them with unkindness, but we'll forgive you. Besides, your sacrifice more than makes up for it. I'll make sure you're remembered in the new history.
2: Sacrifice! What do you mean? What the hell is going on here?
1: Apparently, you didn't listen. It doesn't matter where you go, the world is about to change. You aren't any safer out there than in here. Trust me. Atkins glared at me, eyes as hard as stone. Abraham. What did you do? I smiled widely. <laughs> the possibilities for this program go far beyond what was intended. If you only knew <laughs> its full potential. I spent a lot of late nights here, and at home as well. I left quite a bit out of the reports. I've been halting progress for quite some time. Honestly, I'm surprised you didn't notice. I shook my head in disappointment. For a scientist, you're a lazy bastard. The albino worms screeched in unison. The sounds not meant for human ears. They crawled to the center of the pool and huddled together, singing together, wailing the cries of pain that come with awakening existence. The song of life carried to me, A thrilling tune. I hummed along with them, a lullaby of my own creation. A tune, a tune meant only for them. Listen to them. Aren't they lovely? I could barely contain my excitement. What did you do, Abraham? Atkins demanded to know. Please, tell us. Come on, Richard, I taunted. You know what the project goals were. I'm sure you can at least imagine some of the likely results. Richard's eyes half-closed. I could tell he was figuring it out, going through ideas. He looked up at me. You... you wouldn't. Oh, God, no! He slumped to the floor, hands covering his face.
2: What is it, Richard?
1: Shaw ran over to him. What did he do? He's ended us all. It's all over. Sloane pointed a finger at me. What did he do? I sighed. You never did pull your weight around here, Sloane. Why would you know what possibilities could be achieved in this holy place? But don't worry. (laughs) Your education is on its way. It will be promptly delivered.
2: You come near me, I'll kill you!
1: Sloan took defensive steps back, holding up her fists. I shook my head. (laughs) You don't understand. It's not me you have to worry about. The slimy white larvae began to swell. Their soft bodies stretched, exposing purple veins running through rubbery flesh. They each split open with a pop that resounded, in the airtight laboratory. From within, rose tall, slender beings. They had basic humanoid characteristics. Two arms, two legs, something that could be called a head, but their grotesque forms negated even an inkling of humanity. Their wet black skin shone under the red flashing lights giant toothed mouth snapped open and shut, the width encompassing the entirety of the oddly shaped heads resting atop their bodies. The screams of my former colleagues filled the room at the sight of my newborn children. What a spectacle, I clapped my hands in celebration. Magnificent! My beautiful children, come to father. They craned their necks in my direction, emitting rapid clicking sounds, much like the sleepy crickets of summer nights. I opened my arms wide, welcomed them to my embrace. They came with hesitation, unsure what to make of the new world they were seeing for the first time. I would usher them in, show them the way, guide them to their destiny. I hugged their cold, thin frames. They huddled together within my fatherly hold. You sick bastard! Atkins screamed. What in the name of God are you doing? I'm doing what any good man does. I'm taking care of my family. Your family? Richard put his hands against the sides of his head. They're not human! They're fucking monsters! How dare you! Call my children such names. Have some manners. You're in the presence of infants. I turn back to my newborn triplets. Are you hungry? I'm sure your mothers are in need as well. You must feed them. All three hissed in response, lowering their posture, ready to forage and bring nutrients back to the bodies that created them. Atkins, Shaw, and Sloan backed against the wall like trapped animals facing carnal predators. My children bounded toward them as they released their final breaths in howls of terror. They picked them apart. Carrying dripping carnage back to my wives, feeding them carefully with long, spindly fingers. Each slipped bits of flesh into their mouths chewing the tender meat for their weak mothers before feeding it to them. My wives moaned with pleasure at the sustenance. Very good. I went to my computer and clicked the icon to open the security door. Feed! Run free! Your brothers and sisters will join you soon. I lifted each of my wives with care, placed them back on the birthing tables. IVs pumped chemicals through their blood, drugs integral to the process, the catalysts for transmutation. I prepared the next set of embryos, looking forward to watching their bellies grow. Hello kiddies! So you want
0: access to the Wicked Archives, do you? Well, it takes money to keep the lights on and keep our beasties fed. Trust me, you don't want them hungry. They might just start eating the writers and then where would we be? Visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash wickedlibrary and pledge your support to the show. For $2 a month, I'll give you a key to our collection of classic episodes. For $5 a month, I'll let you hear the bonus stories before the rest of our listeners. Even more tantalizing rewards await for those who want to sacrifice more to us. <laughs> Over 70 classic episodes are lurking deep in the private area of the library, just waiting to be heard by you. Pledge yourself to the library today, and you'll be ours forever. You're going to like it here, I think. <laughs> How much is it for people to enjoy the private area of the librarian, Dan?